Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cosmic Rookie Podcast. I'm Louise, I'm your host, and today actually marks the first episode in a new series I want to do, uh, maybe not every week, but every other week, called Spiritual History. And this first episode is all about the origins of tarot. This week I actually wanted to try something new to start off the episode. I thought it would be pretty cool if every week I pull a card from one of my decks be it tarot or oracle, with just a little collective message. And today the card that I pulled is from the Daily Crystal Inspiration deck by Heather Askinosi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but the card that I pulled is the Clear Quartz card with a message that reads, Get Crystal Clear. The guidebook also has like really interesting questions and affirmations uh, related to the cards. And the core question related to this card is, Have you been feeling lost or confused? Do you know what you want? What does being clear look or feel like to you? Hopefully that's an interesting thing to think about for the rest of the week. Um, I definitely feel like it resonates for me, so hopefully it does so for you as well. So as I said, I'm going to start a new series called Spiritual History. And you might be wondering why, because you might not have come here <laughs> for sort of a history lesson, but Honestly, it's it's really important to understand the origins of the practices that we participate in. You know, it, it's really important to be respectful and to honor the heritage because a lot of these things come from a very rich background. You know, there's so many people that have been really influential in the practice that we might not know about. And I think it's really important and great to be able to pay your respects to them just by learning about the history of whatever it is that you're um, participating in. You can also get a deeper understanding of the practice itself, um, maybe of the different components. And also, let's be fair, it's just super interesting to listen to and find out about the evolution of these practices, especially for this one. Um, Tara has a very interesting history. It was really interesting for me to um, read about this, watch videos about this. And a majority of the information from this episode actually comes from an amazing video on YouTube by Colin Lowe. Um, it's a really amazing video. It's about an hour long and it really goes through um, the history of tarot until about the 20th century, which is what we'll be covering as well. I also uh, would love to credit certain websites, um, notably Tarot Heritage and also Benable One's work. She is amazing. I'm actually looking to buy her holistic tarot book because her approach to sort of the more research oriented aspect of um Spiritual practices is really something that I think is really cool. So hopefully I'll be able to um, share some of those insights with you guys as well. For this episode, we're going to be keeping it as brief as possible. Um, the Hitaro has a really amazingly rich history. Um, but for this, we're just going to keep it um, to the real sort of more old, old school side of tarot. So we're going to start in roughly sort of medieval times through the early 20th century um, for example, we're going to be talking about tarot, like the playing cards that later became the tarot, their introduction in Europe, French Illuminism, and the various important characters that were involved in the further development of the tarot. And we're going to end with British Illuminism and the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So we're kind of being stopping around sort of 1920, 1930s, before the tarot revival in the 60s. I'm sure I can do another episode on that um, because that's sort of more recent history. I wanted to really focus on that. 
the real historical past past, if that makes sense. Before we go any further, I just want to explain what three words in particular mean, because I'm aware that the listeners of this podcast, as the title Cosmic Rookie intends, um, might not be familiar with these yet. So let me just explain what they are, because they are kind of come back in the rest of the episode, just so that you know what I'm talking about. So first of all, the occult or occultism. In the broader sense, it's a category of supernatural beliefs and practices which generally fall outside the scope of religion and science. So they encompass things um, involving otherworldly agency, so things like mysticism, spirituality and magic. Next, we have esotericism or esotericism. It's a bit of a difficult one to define. I'm going to try my best, but essentially it's it's used mainly by scholars um, to categorize a wide range of loosely related ideas and movements developed within Western society. Um, It's been spread through various forms of philosophy, religion, pseudoscience, art, literature and music. And it's very influential to this day. There are a lot of different streams related to um, esotericism. And one of those uh, is Kabbalah. Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline and school of thought from Jewish mysticism. Um, You know, its religious origin takes, you know, is part of of Judaism, but it's been adapted and elements of it has been um, adopted by Western esotericism. And it's a really important one because it, it is very influential and comes back in a lot of the history about the tarot. So without further ado, let's get going because there is a lot to dive into. So we're starting off this story, this history, in roughly around 1370. And at this time, where, you know, late medieval period, it's after the plague, society is recovering. And there are some really important things going on at this time. In Italy, cities are becoming the new economic force, you know, centers of commerce and trade. To the north of Europe, we have primarily Christians. But to the south of Europe, you know, Islam is spreading vastly and quickly. Paper is really important. Paper has come to Europe from China before people were writing in Europe on vellum and parchments so things made out of animal skin, which is significantly much harder to produce. Um, so because of paper, the printing industry followed and books followed and all of that and eventually also playing cards. So the sort of more original playing cards, when we're talking about tarot, the things like the root of these cards are called mamluk cards. They're from Egypt. And they're quite similar in terms of just regular playing cards. There are 52 cards, four suits of 13. The suits were coins, cups, sort of these curved swords and sticks of some kind. And the 10 pip cards. Pip cards are the aces to tens and three court cards. In this case, the court cards included a king and a few administrators. It's kind of hard to tell what they look like um, because there was a prohibition on sort of pictorial things images in Islam so it's a bit difficult but that's what people um, assume is what they presented. So in 1370 um, Naive which is a game originating from these Mamluk cards um, were, was becoming rapidly incredibly popular across Europe. Um, it's a kind of trick-taking game in case you're not sure what a trick-taking game is it's a game where around um, can be won by putting down the highest card. So if you put down a three, somebody puts down a four, somebody puts down a king, which is the highest card, the king will win. And to make it more interesting, later on, trump suits were included. So, for example, you could decide that, oh, for so this game, the cups is the trump suit. So if I put down a king of 
coins, but you put down any card of cups, then that then you would win because cups is the trump. And then even slightly later on, a specific trump suit was kind of booted out in favor of specific trump cards. And these trump cards were different to the regular cards in the deck. So they were not part of any suit. They weren't a pip card or a court card. They were their own thing. Now we are skipping forward a few hundred years and we're going to talk a bit about the Visconti Sforza tarot cards. Now, these cards are incredibly influential because you can really see how the iconography of the cards has changed over time since the Mameluk cards introduction across Europe. And uh, just to give you a bit of background about the name, uh, Visconti comes from the Dukes of Milan and Sforza is a, a really important person at the time. So he was actually a captain, Francesco Sforza. And at the time, because there was a lot of war going on between the states in Italy, the city-states, the city-states would often hire mercenaries to fight because they just didn't have the armies for it. He was a captain of a very successful troop of mercenaries. He then married an illegitimate daughter of the Visconti family. And, you know, their union was very important at the time. And a lot of the cards that circulated from that time period um, can be traced back to them because there's a lot of mottos and heraldry that originates from both of those families. Interesting as well, for example, the love card, which is one of these special trump cards, was, you know, thought to represent the marriage of the two families roughly in the 1450s. And, uh, yeah, you can really see how the iconography has changed and developed. Um, For example, a lot of it stems from Catholic Christianity, sort of from that Catholic side of things um, with, like, popes. And there's also, interestingly, like a female pope so it's interesting how they have like a, a, a male pope and a female pope, and they have that for a, quite a few things in this special trump deck. This time period in terms of the cards is really important because, yeah, the iconography significantly changed. And also quite a lot of the decks actually have survived. Uh, not complete, but because the nobility also, you know, they wanted to have decks of cards themselves so that they could play, they would often ask artists, to produce decks that were made of significantly better quality than the ones that regular people would have because they were so expensive, made from better materials, they have survived. So if you're really interested in them, I would recommend you look up the Carrie Yale Visconti and the Pierpoint Morgan Visconti cards because you can really see what the artwork was like at that time. So now we move on to the next sort of big phase, which is French Illuminism. So over time, over the years, um, there have been many more developments in terms of printing, for example. You know, printing is getting better. There are newer designs, papers getting better. But at the end of the day, the card game that we are referring to is still just a game. There's a really important deck called the Marseille Tarot deck dating back to sort of the middle part of the 17th century, which you can still buy sort of copies of nowadays. It is a really, really important one because it's sort of like the base upon which a lot of the more newer tarot is based on in terms of its format. So you now have a queen in the court cards, for example, that's a new thing. The suits are still coins, cups, swords, and staves, sort of staves or sticks or torches. We have 21 trump cards, and the fool is unnumbered. So that's also uh, really important. So what's really interesting and, and the main part of what has influenced the tarot in this time period is the prevalence of secret societies and orders in this time. It was very popular to be part of a secret society or an order. Think of Freemasonry, for example. So 
now we're about in the in the 18th century with you know Louis the 16th and his queen Marie Antoinette just before the French Revolution and there's a very interesting character that appears at this time his name is Antoine Cour de Jabelin he is a Protestant pastor but he is also a high grade Freemason and he ran and joined in a lot of these secret societies at the time he worked on a lot of different essays and like books and things he had a whole thesis about a past golden age and uh, the king was a big fan of his work so he was really influential and in 1782 he published an essay almost quite randomly about the tarot about these cards that we've been talking about and his thesis statement is that tarot is profoundly egyptian and it's not too far off i mean we know that the mameluk cards originate from egypt but he goes a few steps further He also said that uh, the cards were based on the book of Thoth. Thoth was the ancient Egyptian god of wisdom, and that you know in ancient Egypt, priests uh, heard about or prophesied that ancient Egypt would burn, so they needed to translate the core thoughts and sort of main secrets from the book of Thoth into symbols, and these symbols were then encoded into cards, and these cards were then carried across Europe to sort of keep the secrets alive. If that makes sense. And to really, you know, drive home his message and to fit his thesis statement, he even reinterpreted the cards to fit into what he was saying. So, for example, he said, "Oh, the star card represents the goddess Isis pouring water into the Nile." He also reinterpreted things from sort of Catholicism into his, you know, thesis. So he said, "Oh, the Pope is actually the hierophant, and the female Pope in the deck was actually the high priestess." He honestly he did quite a lot of different things just to fit um the tarot cards into his thesis these trump cards at the time. Uh but he really didn't know anything about the history of these cards. He didn't know anything about ancient Egypt really to be honest. Um he also said things about the Freemasonry movement <laughs> if you want to call it that coming from the Temple of Solomon. Um so yeah, basically it might have sounded like quite a lot of, you know, just made up stuff, but because he was so influential, Egyptian Freemasonry became incredibly popular. His essays were incredibly popular. He just was so influential in what he said, and that's where really a lot of this sort of historical attaching it to some sort of mystical aspect comes from. Also at the time there was another writer called Jean-Baptiste Elliot. He was a merchant at the time and he was one of the first people to write books on how to use these playing cards for fortune telling and divination. And these two people were incredibly influential and resulted in sort of, you know, pushing this shift in motion especially in France. So in France this stuff was incredibly popular. which makes sense you know secret orders and secret societies are popular then of course this kind of thing is going to speak to the people and they're going to enjoy it another really important person actually one of the most important and highly influential people was a man called Eliphas Levi it wasn't actually his real name um but he wrote a very influential book called the history of magic for reference this is just around post revolution france Um but he wrote this book he was also a really talented illustrator so a lot of his illustrations uh were used in a lot of books about occultism the traditional image of the devil card is highly influenced by his illustration for example and tarot was really key in his work it's written about in all of his books um and he was also convinced that tarot was ancient egyptian profoundly so but that over time you know with the fact that it was used as playing cards just sort of you you know the the imagery 
wasn't quite right anymore and we really needed to go back to the original. He also left quite a lot of notes of uh, things what he described as, you know, the rectified tarot, the corrected tarot. So, for example, the chariot card, you know, which is somebody in a chariot, um, he changed the horses into sphinxes for it to fit more into that ancient Egyptian um, thesis statement, right, that we mentioned earlier and that he also really believed in. Um, but he had a huge influence on tarot design in particular. You know, the the image of the devil card that I was mentioning, um, we see in the right away tarot as well. It was really taken as a source of inspiration. So really, really influential character here. In the 1850s as well, there was real renaissance going on uh, in interest in occultism. We can credit a lot of it to, for example, the Fox sisters in the U.S., they're so interesting. Um, I really encourage you to look them up online. But essentially, they um, were these three sisters. One of them was sort of the manager, and the other two were these, you know, psychics. Um, but it later turned out that it was all just made up. It was just a hoax. So it didn't do much good in terms of credibility. But um, they did really encourage this sort of renaissance and interest in, uh, interest in occultism. And like a lot of belief in the spiritual dimension became very widespread in the U.S. at that time. Also interesting to mention is this woman called Madame Blavatsky. Again, a fascinating woman. Uh, she's the founder of the Theosophical Society. She traveled like globally, met with all these sort of like mystics and psychics and uh, really influential spiritual people. And she was, you know, instrumental in spreading spirituality and spiritualism across Europe. So really, this this era is really Im incredibly important in the development of the ideas behind the tarot and the designs. And uh, yeah, all of these people were really important in that. Now we're moving on to the sort of last stage that we're going to talk about in this episode, and that is British Illuminism. For me, actually, one of the first things that I found out or the sort of people that I'm going to talk about in this segment were the ones that I would think of. They're the ones that I heard the most about when it came to the history of the tarot. But I mean, as we've seen, they're sort of in the more later stages of this. But I'm sure maybe for some of you, these people are more fresh in your mind. So in 1887, a group of high grade English Freemasons, because at this time, you know, Freemasonry, secret societies is popular all across Europe at this point, popularized by the French. Um, but this group of people came across a document and this document was written in code. They deciphered the code and they saw that it described an esoteric order. Uh, it included their traditions, a lot of information on the tarot, just all of this kind of interesting stuff. Also an address in Germany. And um, they also noted that quite a lot of the things from this document um, were things taken from Eliphas's notes on tarot. But then it was even further rectified, further past even Eliphas's rectifications of the tarot. And this group of people then contacted the person, the, the address that was written, you know, in the code. And uh, basically, they just got permission to create or recreate the secret esoteric order, but then in the UK. And the name of this esoteric order is the Hermetic Brotherhood or Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It was an organization that attracted quite an eccentric and diverse group of people. Um, there were some celebrities in there at the time, like the poet William Yeats. Uh, writers that were quite influential, like Arthur Waite and people like Alistair Crowley. It was quite a big group of people. And they were reported to teach and practice real magic. 
they actually had a book called The Complete Golden Dawn Book of Magic, in which they really very detailedly uh, described all of their practices, their sort of traditions, um, all of that stuff in great detail. And the tarot was really incredibly implemented and integrated throughout this book. And they did quite a lot in terms of adjusting things. So again, there are still 22 trump cards according to what was said earlier. Um, and they correspond to the Hebrew letters. And also now they've extended this and said, no, it also these 22 trump cards also connect to the 22 paths of the Kabbalistic tree of life. So the tree of life from Kabbalah. It also corresponds to astrology and to elements from alchemy. Um, the four court cards are related to the four letters of the most sacred divine name, so Jehovah. Um, also, the 36 pip cards correspond with the 36 deacons of Egyptian astrology. And the aces are also corresponding to the roots of the elements that the suits are related to. So coins or pentacles related to earth, cups, water, rods, fire, rods or torches, fire and swords, air. And they really drove home that the tarot is actually a set of universal archetypes outside of humanity. It's bigger than humanity. And these 22 tarot trump cards are really demonstrating this, they're illustrating this. So they really just work on what was previously said, you know, by writers like Eliphaz, um, by what was, you know, originally put down into writing by Antoine Cour de Jabelin, you know, in, in France. And they really just ran with that and really, really worked on this to sort of perfect it in a way and to connect it to what they were believing in and what they were practicing. Now, interesting, um, the Golden Dawn order actually didn't last very long. There were quite a lot of tensions in the group. There are a lot of really, really big personalities in there. I mean, I'm sure most of you who have heard anything about occultism will have heard of Aleister Crowley and will maybe know a bit about him, but he was quite a character, let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, there was quite a lot of tension in the group. There was also quite a lot of suspicion that the document that started it all, that coded document, was actually just made up and there was no such original um secret order or anything it was just kind of made up <laughs> and yeah they, they just completely crumbled at that point um a lot of the members of the group actually wrote about it a lot of them have memoirs for example Crowley I think Waite also wrote quite a few things uh, Mathers who is like the head of the organization um basically all started to crumble and one of the last things that really drove the falling apart home was that Crowley went to the press but he also just published uh, quite a lot of the internal documentation of the order there was a court case very messy um, and essentially the members of this group became a public laughing stock and they just fell apart completely again there's so much really interesting um, documentation and books and documents and history about the golden dawn it's an incredibly fascinating influential group of people uh, we're going to be talking about two sort of things that have come out of that sort of the two main streams when I think of tarot and, and you know when you talk about um the most popular decks when it comes to tarot have come out of this order so we're going to start off with the Rider Waite deck I'm pretty sure this is considered the most influential tarot deck it's the one that is most often used um in books about tarot I think it's pretty much every single person's first tarot deck 
it's like the sort of archetype, the original um, from this era. Like it for a lot of people, it just demonstrates the core values, the core illustrations, the core thoughts behind tarot. It's it's just so influential. So in in 1909, so after um, everything collapsed for the Golden Dawn, Arthur Waite, who previously, by the way, wrote many, many books on um, occultism and magic himself, he was very influenced by Eliphaz Levi. He took his own version of the tarot system, his own sort of version of it, his thoughts, um, what he had taken out of what was, you know, discussed in the Golden Dawn and produced a new tarot pack. Uh, but it's a very colorful deck. Um, the coins are now actually pentacles. So it's like a, a circular disc with the pentacle on it, uh, which is heavily inspired by what Eliphaz Levi uh, suggested in his rectifications for the illustration. Um, the pip cards are fully is illustrated. That's also really important. Um, they're not just sort of, you know, when we think of an actual just classic card deck, you know, you play card games with. It's just the symbols in like three of the symbols or four of the hearts or five of the hearts, but they're fully illustrated to really help with the messaging. And it really marks the emergence of tarot from moving away from its card game origins into an actual spiritual tool for divination or, or whatever. Um, it, it's really difficult to imagine playing cards with this version of the cards. You know, it's really hard to imagine playing a card game with tarot cards, essentially. But yeah, so really important as well is that we credit the artist of this deck, Pamela Coleman-Smith. Uh, she was a friend of the Yates family. So um, William Yates was one of the members of the Golden Dawn. And she was involved a lot in theatre production. And it's really interesting when you know that because then if you look at the clothes from that are you know depicted in this deck, you can really see that influence. She's very comfortable with drawing sort of more costumey things. Um, but basically, she did the entire 78-card deck designs in nine months, and she just got a flat fee, which I think is honestly a bit, it's not really okay. She should have gotten more. She should have gotten, like, a royalty deal or something. But, um, yeah, she took a lot of influence, actually, from Eliphaz Levi's uh, comments on um, rectification of the tarot cards. So there isn't that much Golden Dawn influence in the Trump cards. Um, for the Pip cards, the influence isn't as clear. But she clearly just went off uh, the descriptions of the card meanings that um, Waits would have given her. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly, incredibly influential deck. Uh, when you look at pictures online, if you type in tarot, guaranteed the first pictures that you will see and the majority of them will be cards from this deck. But it's also really important to mention another deck. And I actually also want to briefly mention a third deck because my first tarot deck was neither of these two. Um, anyway, we're getting off track here. But a second really influential stream of tarot design or just a deck that came out of the Golden Dawn was Alistair Crowley's deck. And this deck is called the Thoth deck. Crowley was really one of the best students or most dedicated students of the Golden Dawn. Like he took things very, very seriously. You know, some of the other members might have just done it for fun, but he was hardcore into this. And he wanted to work on this deck with his friend, Lady Frida Harris. As I know, uh, this deck wasn't produced, like it didn't, it wasn't finished uh, in his lifetime. It was actually sort of post uh, his death, but it is really very much a Golden Dawn deck. So where we have the Rider Waite deck, which is kind of Waite's own thing because he knew quite a lot about um, mysticism, occult, all of that esoteric stuff. 
And his friend who, you know, did the illustration took majority of that influence from Eliphaz Levi. We have this other deck. It is very different. If you look up pictures, if you're not familiar with it, it is a very different style of deck. Um, yeah, so a lot of the Golden Dawn's teachings are integrated into this. Um, it took many years to produce. I think it's around nine or ten. Um, but it's really, really linked back to that Egyptian uh, priest concept. Uh, the Book of Thoth, as we said earlier, um, I mean, the deck is even named after it. Um, and he really believed that tarot is a system of occult knowledge encoded into the deck of cards. It's very occult. It's very dynamic. It's very, uh, there's quite a lot of different colors in it. You'll see when you look up, trust me, it's it's very different to what you might have originally thought when you think of tarot. And it's a really interesting one. I know there's quite a few people who, who are really, really big fans of these two different uh, streams. I also want to mention, though, that there are quite a few different decks that have come out of this. There's the Bota deck, which is like B-O-T-A, I do believe, um, with periods, like full stops in between. Um, but the deck that I actually started off with is also a deck that comes from the um, Golden Dawn group, and it is the Hermetic Tarot. Um, I don't know why I didn't have anybody to really point me in the right direction when it came to my first deck. Um, I believe and, and I also would recommend actually that most people, if you're looking at a first deck, would consider, you know, I would recommend that you consider the Rider Waite one because so many of the more modern tarot decks out there are based on that imagery. So if you kind of start off with the original, then when you go out and get other decks that are inspired by that system you'll find it a lot easier to, to give the meanings. But yeah, so my first tarot deck was actually the Hermetic Tarot deck by Godfrey Dawson. It's quite a dark one. Honestly, I think there are quite a lot of dark, sort of more occultist uh, decks out there. But this one is, is one of the ones that has a lot of Golden Dawn influence because it's really just, it, it comes from there. It's you can really tell once you know the history of the Golden Dawn and sort of what their beliefs were and the, the main practices, you can really see that influence across all of the cards. It's black and white, so no color. If you're into color, maybe stay away from this one. Um, but there's so much information on each card. There's so many references, like the other two decks, like the Thoth deck and the Rider Waite one. But in, in this deck, the Kabbalistic influences, especially the Tree of Life, uh, the Hebrew alphabet, it's integrated in the others too, but in this, it's like front and center. It's very obvious that this is clearly a real, real condensed, like almost, how do I describe it? It's like every single card has so much information. It can be slightly overwhelming, but it, it holds so much meaning behind it. The only thing I would say, uh, maybe it's just my version of the deck, but the Little White book, like the uh, the guidebook, is very limited. Uh, they spend quite a lot of time on describing the card versus the actual meaning. So I wouldn't recommend that as a starter deck. I would really recommend, as I said, you maybe go with a Rider Waite one or a Thoth, um, but it's completely your call uh, when it comes to tarot. Just go with what feels right for you. So there we have it. We sort of come to the end of this um, sort of series of events these periods of a lot of development because after this there's kind of a bit of a lull uh secret societies aren't as you know prevalent in society 
um, you know, the world wars are happening, so people just don't have as much time for all of this. But, you know, later on in the 60s, 70s, you know, the hippie flower power era, a new age spirituality really has a major comeback. And there are so many different streams that are popping up. There's so much sort of rediscovery into old things. Tara becomes incredibly popular again. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to say about that period in terms of the development of, you know, spiritualism globally on the whole. Um, there's also quite a lot of negative things to say about that. Uh, needless to say, I would love to do another episode on that because it's so fascinating. But that's really when things started becoming popular again. And that sort of leads us to present day where, you know, it's it's getting a lot more popular again. Um, there's a lot of different people creating tarot decks, a lot of them inspired by the right away tarot. But, you know, people have, you know, different influences as well. But needless to say, that right away one is incredibly um, influential. So, yeah, the history of tarot really spans quite a long time period and it goes through quite a lot of developments, you know, starting from these Mamluk cards from Egypt becoming, you know, very popular across Europe, people using them to play card games with, then you know, the more wealthy people, uh, paying people, paying artists to create really beautiful versions. The the iconography develops. Then we have the French Illuminism period with so many people, so many authors being incredibly influential. The essays by Antoine Cour de Jablin, we have Eliphas Levi. Um, we have the Renaissance and interest in occultism in the 1850s. And then we, you know, have the British Illuminism and the incredibly influential group that was the Hermetic Order or Hermetic Brotherhood of the Golden Dawn and the right away Tarot, Thoth Tarot that have come out of that. So really, you can see where this has come from. Um, you can make of this what you will. I think it's really interesting to understand that there are a lot of different people, there are a lot of different moving parts involved in the development of this you know system you could call tarot a system in these cards these tools that we use and especially understanding where the artwork comes from because you know a lot of us we um look at the arts when we look at tarot to interpret the um the card itself you know re regardless of anything it's just really really interesting to know how these developments came to be and and how a lot of the imagery um, has been influenced by people in the past, you know, specifically Eliphas Levi, such an interesting person, um, and how his influence, you know, trickled down through the years and has, you know, had such a significant impact on the images that we know and we love and we appreciate when it comes to tarot. So that's pretty much it for our first episode on spiritual history. Um, I thought it'd be really interesting to start off with tarot since for me personally, it's the main, you know, spiritual practice that I participate in. And, you know, purely from that sort of more slightly selfish standpoint, I was really, really interested in uh, finding out where this sort of came from, who, who started all of this. And I hope it was really interesting for you guys as well, just to gain more insight on it. Such a fascinating and rich history. If you're interested in, um, learning more about any of these you know time periods and the people involved um the video that i referenced in the beginning uh by colin lowe actually at the end he and throughout the video but at the end he lists some really great books um if you're interested in more and also i would really recommend checking out benable one uh she has a website she has books <laughs> she also has a youtube page 
Um, but she really goes into that sort of scholarly side. So she has a really long, extensive reference list at the end of her book, I know. Uh, I have yet to buy it, but I plan on buying it. Um, but just incredible sources that you can check out if you're interested. So for future episodes, uh, the plan so far, <laughs> it might change, um, but the plan is to do sort of a spiritual history episode and then to do the next few episodes more specifically about whatever it was that we were looking into. So I will do another episode soon on just introducing some of the main uh, spiritual practices that are popular, just so that for any beginners out there um, who want to just know what the options are, that's laid out. And then I'm planning on doing quite a few more about tarot specifically. Um, and then we'll do, you know, another history session or something else <laughs> and then go into that other uh, practice. You know, history is, uh, for some people, maybe a bit boring. But as I said in the beginning, it's it's really incredibly fascinating to understand where different, you know, parts of your practice come from. And especially if you're beginning and starting out, it, it's really interesting. It's really helpful in uh you know feeling closer and feeling more connected to that practice if you understand where it comes from so i hope this is interesting i hope that you found the crystal message at the beginning fun um i might do it for different episodes just do different cards uh, i think that would be quite cute and please go out into the world um, remember to always be curious respectful and empathetic whenever you can and i will see you next time bye guys